I think that it's easier to say yes, gay rights than it is to have your child come out. And I think like after I've spoken with my parents about that, it's really just because every parent wants their kid, wants their child to have the easiest life possible. And so, yeah. And so I think that my parents were only worried about how other people would treat me. And there it is again, kind of like the worry about uh, how others react to things rather than how you're feeling. And so um, I think there was a little bit of that. I think there was a little bit of like, do I not know you like I thought I did? How did I not see that? I think we're so close and I understand you, but if there's something so big. Hello again and welcome back to Authentic On Air with Bruce Alexander. I am still your host, Bruce Alexander, at least for the foreseeable future, because my name is in the title and you can expect me to keep showing up. I don't consider myself a journalist, although I do aim to create a safe space for guests to tell their stories. My guest today is a legit journalist with credits that include Bloomberg, Politico, USA Today, and MSNBC. I first encountered her, however, in a totally different capacity. More about that after today's reflection. As listeners of this show know, my family is on the precipice of a huge transition. We are moving across the country to New England. What I want to reflect on today is how you balance being an authentic friend with being true to your passion and chasing your dreams. I am really struggling with this at the moment. To give some context, I've never considered myself as an overly important person. As a matter of fact, I often question whether or not my friends are put out by my never-ending conversational dominance and moodiness. So when I received this next piece of information, I was really rocked. I've always considered my house the hub of activity for my people for two reasons. I really love cooking for my people. It's my number one love language. And my spouse's social anxiety makes socializing outside of the house kind of difficult. So having people over was always just a win-win way of people. However, at a recent get together, one of my closest friends told me that I was the glue of our friend group. Another friend told me in tears that they weren't sure if this group of people would continue to exist as friends when my family was gone. My head was, is swimming. I love my people fiercely. So as I was initially boosted by the compliment, I was then choke slammed back to earth. The thought of my chosen family falling apart because we are choosing a new path honestly makes it hard for me to breathe. We are committed to this decision and we aren't turning back, but I'm struggling not to leave part of my heart in OKC. If you were faced with a similar decision, how would you handle balancing this way? Hop on Instagram, threads, LinkedIn, or Facebook and join the discussion discussion on the episode 16 reflection post. Or you can make your own post and tag at Authentic Identity Management and use the hashtag Authentic Reflections because I really want to hear from you. I could use the advice. <laughs> Speaking of huge life transitions and being true to your passion, Kendall Brightman is on the line from Tel Aviv, Israel today. An expat of Havertown, Pennsylvania, it seems from the outside, Kendall had a life, a blossoming career in a field she loved, and an overall enjoyment of the city she called home. What would entice her to leave home 6,000 miles in the rear view and start over? That is her story to tell, and I can't wait to hear it. As I said in the reflection today, I could really use some levity on the starting a brand new life run, and hopefully I have just the right person for the right time to have this conversation. I didn't know any of this when I first encountered Kendall as a community manager of the certain business community that we belong to, and I will let her share that or not. <laughs> I was curious about this person, and how they were able to facilitate great conversation, act as an intermediary between end user and product creator, 
and seem genuinely excited about building a community all the while. I have always played the I wonder what they are like game long before this podcast. The difference now is the podcast gives me a reason to reach past my social anxiety and actually find out. Naturally, when she started offering 30-minute get-to-know-you sessions to the community we are involved in, I, I jumped on it. And within three minutes of entering the call, I knew that Kindle would be a fantastic guest to introduce to my authentic audience. But it took me 27 more minutes to build up the courage to ask. From the recording of this episode, it's obvious she was gracious enough to say yes, and I'm so happy to welcome Kindle Brightman to the show. Welcome, Kindle. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here, especially after everything that you just said. This is... I'm excited to have this conversation. So thanks for having me. Absolutely. Like I'm, you know, you have been very helpful to me as I've been building this podcast and learning how to, you know, build up the video part of it. So I really appreciate that first and foremost. And then also your graciousness with your time to come on my show and, um, you know, give people a chance to get to know you. Yeah. Well, I think like, as you were just saying that, uh, when you met, you'd want to be on the show. I, think that you even from our call just like really opened up a really great space to just be able to talk and share so I was excited to be to be asked so good thank fit. you so much people yeah. say nice things about that like about me like that and I'm always kind of taken aback because I, I think I'm weird <laughs> I I couldn't I, I couldn't um I wasn't I mean surprised when I heard you're just saying that you were the glue of a of a, your friend group so yeah, you're, I don't think they should be surprised by that, but. You know, we all have our stuff and as positive as I like to think about myself, it is, it is hard to really see what you are to other people. Mm -hmm, for sure. Um, I will, I will say that moving, moving will change that. You get to see who you are to other people in, oh, okay. a, in like a really nice way in the way that like your, your friendships when you move change and you really value the time that you get to talk with each other you see how people keep in touch you learn that just because you're not keeping in touch with somebody doesn't mean that your relationship's affected by it it's it's a really interesting way to exp to explore those same friendships but in a new way yeah um, I, I hope to see the same thing so let's back up a little bit before we really jump yeah. into it and tell the audience in your own words who you are how you spend your time and why you think i invited you on this show particularly so uh, my name is Kendall Brightman, uh, originally from Havertown, Pennsylvania. It's right outside of Philadelphia. Um, I actually went to school in D.C., went to American University, if that if that's, strikes a chord for anyone. <laughs> and so when I was there, I actually started studying politics and journalism. And shockingly enough, I started be as a political journalist when I left college. So started over at uh, Politico went over, to, well, I had done an internship at USA Today, went over to Politico, uh, covered the 2016 presidential election on the road for Bloomberg News, which was a really once in a lifetime crazy opportunity that we can get into. Uh, moved over to MSNBC after that as a producer, television producer, and then kind of just quit it all and uh, moved over to Tel Aviv. We can also get into that part. Um, and that's mainly because I had met my wife, who is Israeli. Uh, she was a medical student at the time. And so it just kind of seemed more and more like that was the the way that we were going to be able to make things happen. She wouldn't be able to come to the to the United States. So it was kind of a, a leap for me of uh, I can continue to just kind of live on the safe path or I can 
try something new and put myself out there for something that could be a high payoff. And four and a half years later, I am still in Tel Aviv, happy, and um, yeah, I think, and uh, working as part of my job with podcasters, which is how we had met each other. So um, that's kind of the very quick version of me. And I think that you invited me on because I feel like there were a lot of small moments when we were talking about um, success, how you see success in careers, moving to another country, um, being part of the gay community. There's just, I, I feel like we really started ping-ponging off of each other in a lot of ways to, to discuss life. So did I get it right? Yeah. I mean, well, there's no right answer, but I, I yeah, think that course. that's definitely some of the stuff I had in mind. And um, you definitely provide a large cross-section of different ways that you have to face being authentic and being true to yourself. So I'm curious mm -hmm. to get inside your mind and see how you face those things. But obviously first I want to get out of the way so you can tell your story a little more in depth. Like the, the headline seems to be like Reitman leaves life behind to start over in Tel Aviv. Um, let, let's get into it. Like the really tell me like how that happened, what some of the things you heard in the, during that process were like how you felt, mm -hmm. I mean, because that's that's a really big decision, like a huge decision. Yeah, it was. It really was. Um, so it all start. This was not like I had studied abroad when I was in college and I, I studied in Copenhagen and a dream of mine was to move to Copenhagen. And then I ended up getting a job at Politico and it really felt like something that I couldn't say no to um, just for a the idea of going to Copenhagen. So I kind of put that on the back burner at that time. And kind of forgot about it, was successful in political journalism. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so then I ended up going on a trip actually to Tel Aviv with two of my friends. And I had met uh who ended up being my wife there at the time. It was just just a person. Um <laughs> so we had really connected and I left and the idea was kind of that it was like she was going to be her dad is American. She was going to be in New York when I was there. We would have one more time to really see each other and then kind of, you know, you never know where that's going to go. But the idea is that that's kind of you cross somebody in your life that you really connect with and you hope that that'll continue. Um, so then she had come to New York. We had a great time together. And then she went back to um, she was living in Tel Aviv at that time. And it just, there was something there that just kept kind of pulling me back into that. So we just didn't stop talking. And then it really Quick question, evolved. Quick. Yeah. How, how much physical time have you spent together at this time when she went back to Tel Aviv? So we had spent um, probably like 10 to 12 days when I was in Israel with my friends. Okay. And I'd met her on the first day. Um, and then she came to New York and I would say that that was about two weeks of time. But she was also with her family. Like it was like it wasn't like I was getting 24 seven time with her. It was like right. in little in little bits and pieces that she was able to have some time. And then from there, it just became we were texting every day. And then it just became kind of like what I would call like little leaps of faith, like little mm -hmm. leaps of vulnerability and just saying, I have three days off. Do you want to meet somewhere? And then we met in London for New Year's or um, I came to Tel Aviv to see her uh, around like 
like I got it as a gift for my birthday. Like really these leaps of like really vulnerable times of saying like, I really feel a connection here and I'm just going to go for it. And you know, there's a, it's a, there's a little bit of um, padding in there because she lived on the other side of the world. So, you know, if she didn't text me back, I don't have to run into her. Um, so then it just kind of like evolved from there. And then I moved down to DC I had my job um, at MSNBC, and the more and more that we got to know each other, the more and more that we got to visit each other, I just kept kind of having this nagging feeling like that it was, if I didn't try something here, that I would end up regretting it. And it kind of came down to me for as you can leave your job and go across the world, and you might regret that. Like, it really could have easily been a terrible situation. Um, And you can have that, but then I knew that my network was strong enough that I could come back and come back to it. Um, Or I could just kind of continue on the path that I had made for myself that was straightforward, and I was on it and successful on it, but I worried that I would be 10 years down the road on that and regret not doing something back then so it really came down to that and i mean i don't want to keep talking too much but there were a lot of things like please keep going yeah yeah like there was a lot of things like it was because i wasn't moving for a job or something else that kind of people would define as like success in this way um it was kind of like you're leaving you're quitting your job to go be with a woman like the this this person And so I did face like some questions from friends and some questions from family. But at the end of the day, actually, my friend Andrew told me something that's really going to always stick with me. I was just really back and forth. Should I do it? Should I not do it? What are people going to think? What are people going to say? And this is like my best friend. And he was saying, like, I love you, but no one goes home and sits up at night and thinks about you. Like they're not saying, oh, my gosh, Kendall's crazy for moving to Tel Aviv. Like, you're going to spend your life sitting up wondering if you should have done it, wondering if you should do it. And, like, that's all that matters. Because anyone else, their opinion, kind of, like, everyone's the main character of their own life. So their opinion can take them so far. But, like, you have to look out for what's going to make your life path the best. And so it really came down. It came down to that, honestly. Wow. It's, It's great to have a friend who can really cut through all the noise like that. And say something so poignant because I mean, honestly, how often do we feel like people are sitting up thinking about us and when we make our decisions and really everybody's got their own crap and is really not worried about what you wore to the party or that stupid thing you said that, you know, you can't get out of your head. You know, like I said, you know, thanks. You enjoy your time, too. And they're like, they don't care that you said the weird thing. Like it's it's gone. It's, you know, it's moved on. Everybody has their own stuff. So, um did was there anything going on on the other path of life that was that was kind of guiding you towards this decision like whenever i left my job to start um my you know my business and the podcast it was that the universe and god was pushing me very clearly on a different path it was like you don't need to be with the fire department anymore um Mm -hmm. i should have i could have made that decision a lot longer before and been a lot happier in the long run did you like, were, was there anything obvious that was happening that was pushing you towards this path? Or were you just like, you got that whisper of, of something better and you just jumped, you just leapt on, or leaped on it? I 
I think actually the like whisper was more to stay like and I think that this is a really interesting part of it for me was that I really like I had come out of college and wanted to be a political reporter and then I was sitting there in 30 Rock producing a political show and I think that when you're at these places that are I think there are two things so first being at this place that you've built up for your for your life like I I when I think of news I would think of CNN NBC Fox as the big three and so to be in that and feel kind of successful in that it was harder for me to admit that maybe it wasn't what I wanted because yeah. it, it it was such a goal and then you get to the goal and you're like looking around saying okay but am I really going to leave this for a person like am I really going to leave this for something that might not work out but on top of that because it was right after 2016, um, there was a big, like journalism is, like it still is, but it really was then also really seen as like, wow, you're a political reporter in these times. It, it became bigger than itself. And so I think that I started actually wrapping up my own self-worth in one, the company that I was at, and two, the fact that I was like almost like doing the Lord's work by the way people were talking about it. I like, I, I often say that I liked how I looked in other people's eyes. Like I liked mm. how, I, I liked how people saw me when they, when they heard that I was doing political journalism in this time that I was following presidential candidates. And I think that that really made me stay much longer than I should have because I cared so much about that. My ego was so much wrapped up in that. So the idea of saying like, and I'm going to leave it to go move to this, this part of the world and be with this person that like, probably when you're asking about timing, we'd probably only spent like three months of like actual time together in person. It just, that was more like keeping me, but the, the voice to want to go was very loud and I was trying to almost block it out to try to be logical. Yeah. Um, yeah. But what I kind of realized when I talk about having somebody like feel like seeing yourself, uh, how other people see you in their eyes, I think that I had to like redefine success in that way. So I grew up East coast, Philadelphia, New York, DC, like your worth, your, your success is so much tied into your career and your job. And I had this moment where I was like, what if success is like successfully moving to another country? What if it's learning a new language? What if it's making new friends? What if it's making a new life for yourself? Like, why is that not seen as equal or greater than type of success that you can get from a job? So it really was about all redefining that. And those were really the voices that were predominantly in my head. There's a lot I want to unpack with uh, with everything you just said because first off, so let's talk about the fact that you had this dream and you did you did achieve you achieved the dream. You were at Thirty Rock producing a political news show, like that is basically coming out of college what you drew up as what you wanted to do, right? Mm -hmm. And and you'd gotten there, you'd achieved it, and realized that it wasn't all it was cracked up to be. I, let's let's just talk about that on itself because that right there is a lot to deal with just you know getting the dream a lot of people never get it and aren't are unable to see that there's a possibility that the dream is not all it's cracked up to be. yeah i mean 
And I was like, I'm not going to act like I had reached like the pinnacle dream. I mean, like, you know, the executive producing or something like that. But the thing is that I was at the place and in the industry as a producer that I like I felt that success in that. And then I was also able to kind of like so this is how it happened in the way that I was able to like see the dream. So I was able to see the people that are that are um, that had reached that. And that's not to knock the people that had reached that because I think that what they're doing is amazing and I think that they love it. But I think that there were all of these little moments where if you're a journalist, you have two phones on you at all times. And I know that seems small, but it's it's this constant attachment. It's that they they wake up and they eat, sleep, and breathe this, like, the Twitter feeds and being on top of things. And you can have plans after work, but you can cancel those and go meet with a source and get that information. And I wanted so desperately to be that. But then I was realizing that what fills me was not having that source meeting and going to meet with my friends and having a work-life balance. And there was a particular time where we were all sitting at dinner with a couple journalists and um, I believe like like, like North Korea tested a nuclear weapon and everyone had to get up and leave to go work. And it was more the way that they that filled them. And I wanted so desperately for that to be me, but I was realizing that I was going to spend my life wanting that to be Foots fulfills me, but kind of selling myself short because I think that that's what should rather than what does, you know? Right. So, so we, we talk a lot about self-awareness on the show and, you know, being honest with yourself. And that was, that was a, an honest moment for you where you had to look at, what you wanted to be true and what was actually true and deciding that it's not like, this is not actually what fills my cup. And so when was like, when was that moment? I think that moment, hmm, I think that moment actually was, there was a one time when I was on the road and um, we were kind of just starting to gear up for the 2020 election. So of course, 2020 election like starts in like 2018 it's wild um Mm -hmm. so we were gearing up for that and i went on the road with another reporter and um at that day i remember that my partner was having a really hard time and i was on the road and i'm at these events and i just like couldn't stop thinking about that i should be texting her or that i should Mm -hmm. make sure that she's okay and talking to her on the phone made me feel so much better than any other part of that day it did. And so I just kind of was like, I'm almost, I almost felt it was a moment where I was like, I'm almost denying myself happiness because I don't think that that's what should make me happy. Cause I've been told that my job should make me happy. And so, and also uh, juxtaposing it with the person I was on the road with. And she is, I won't say the name, but she's, like a really scrappy, great reporter. And so she was like tripod over her shoulder, running around, and I wanted to have that hunger. And I remembered that I used to, but like there's a reason also why that's such like a young profession because it really, it takes all all of this out of you. And I think that like if I were to go back to the United States, I would love to do journalism again. But I just was realizing that I needed a bit more than that. Like that wasn't going to be my thing. You needed your, something besides your career to be your life, right? Yeah, yeah and exactly. Yeah, I, I, I definitely appreciate that. I, I lived a life 
where the I didn't want my career to be with my life. It just was because it was so all encompassing. As a firefighter, it's exhausting and you don't even really have time for a life because you spend so much time working and then you're exhausted whenever you get home. Like these people are all like, Hey dad, hey husband, and then I'm just like, I'm gonna go to sleep. <laughs> and then go back twenty four hours. Exactly. <laughs> um so yeah, that's uh that's really interesting that you that that was all developing while you're you've got this other thing developing, which made it clear for you what you did need in your life. And that's um I don't know, I guess that you know, maybe that was lucky fortunate timing that you instead of you know kind of being lost as to like, well, this doesn't fill me, what is gonna fill me? You kind of had this this other person who was giving you giving you something that was making you feel like a more well-rounded full human being and it kind of guided you as to and this is this is me making a a causal leap that it guided you on a path where you're doing what you do now which is is a deeper part of that which is building community and it, so it wasn't just about building one relationship that relationship was very important to where you are now but turns out you really love building relationships on the whole right Exactly. And I was just thinking about that as you were saying it. And I think that's a really great point. It's um, like, this is all to say that now that I've come here and I've settled, I do feel like my job fulfills me. So and it's an important part of my life. So it's interesting, like, would I have found this? Well, because I don't think that while I was in the US, with the job that I had, that I would have felt comfortable even exploring other jobs, because I was like, Oh, this is what I studied for. This is what I do. And so I think that it really opened me up to to find actually what I'm passionate about, which is like when I because I haven't even th I didn't even thought about being a um, a community manager before this, and I was approached by my current workplace about being a community manager, and I read the job description and was like, wow, this sounds exactly like me and what I love doing. So. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think that it definitely guided me to, to this point. I mean, and you were in a career like so many in America specifically that kind of makes you feel like relationships aren't possible. Like you, yes. you have to choose one or the other. You either have to have a great career or you have to have a great relationship and, and hope that you're going to be able to make, you know, pay the bills. And that's, you know, that's a terrible false dichotomy that we have here. And it's unfortunate, but it's really easy to fall into that trap. And I'm, glad you were kind of given a, a look out of it and it's really seemed to pay it off for you in the long term so congratulations on that yeah thank you the ironic part is that i'm coming at you from my living room while my wife who is a doctor is working an overnight shift so we'll pass the message along to her for more uh to, to bring in some time for a relationship you know no i'm kidding where it's it's yeah. it's all works out but it's um it's just funny that we're talking about all, leaving all-encompassing careers. Meanwhile, I did marry someone who has an all-encompassing career. <laughs> is what doctor is, is it the same as we view it in America, which is, you know, 60-hour work weeks and, you know, guaranteed overtime? Is it the same there? It's, yeah. Yeah, oh, it's sucks. the same. Um, That's she's a medical <laughs> resident. Yeah, she's a medical resident, too. So it's like, really, you really get that time. Yeah. If you love content like this conversation with Kindle, I recommend you put episode seven in your library right now. Hitting the brakes, setting boundaries to align expectations with sustainable performance with Regan Shorter is a great look into the other side of the lens. 
Unlike writing, producing Brightman, Regan often finds herself in front of the camera, and in our conversation, we get a different perspective on authenticity that I think you will love. You can listen to that after you finish this great conversation with Kendall. Well, that, I mean, that must be tough. So kind of going back to being in a brand new country, I mean, which is not brand new to you anymore, but that speaks to her having been pretty, pretty busy as you were starting to acclimate yourself to this new place. What I mean, that, I guess that could both have been good and bad because you had to establish yourself as a member of the community in Israel, but you also kind of came over there for this person who's now going to be very busy a lot of the time that you're there. How did, how did you cope with that? Yeah, it was actually, it was pretty difficult when I first came just because I had no other community here except for her. But I mm -hmm. think that like it was a balance because at the same time, I'm a very independent person. So I didn't want to depend on her for everything. So it actually was nice to be able to like, I would spend days walking around alone like while she was working, I think, and like it really got me to get to know my city, the new city that I was in, get to explore the place, get to make my own friends. Um, so it was actually, it was difficult because, you know, you move with somebody, you expect it to be like, and now we're together all the time, but there's still the real life balance of like, I have a job and I had to, I, I had already found a job by the time that I moved, which was really fortunate. Mm -hmm. um, but it was really difficult. I mean, it's a completely different language too. So I had to have her read my bank statements and sign me up for health insurance. Like all of these things. Yeah. You would just like go from being a really independent person to saying like, can you help me create a bank account? Can you help me find a doctor? Like all of these things just became really like I was depending on her for all of it. So I think that, um, with these kinds of moves, it's, I always like people have said that I'm brave for making them, but I actually think that it's more brave for, um, that she had done that because like that I, she had had so many moves. Cause for me, it was a new adventure. And f I don't know about anyone else that's listening, but like if I invite somebody to a bar and it's not a cool bar, I'm like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. We can go somewhere else. Like <laughs> the responsibility of picking the place. So I can't imagine somebody moving to another country and they're like, oh, I'm homesick. And you're like, I'm so sorry. Like, it's it's a lot of pressure that goes on the yeah. partner when you move for somebody. So, yeah. So as, as you were, you know, walking around, finding your own way, did you feel more like a minority? Like, because I'm, I'm not really sure what the makeup of Israel is. I know that there are a lot of mm -hmm. people who kind of could present as white who are Israeli, but it's also mm -hmm. like a lot of brown people. So, like, how did yeah. you feel as you were starting to acclimate there? So I actually, like, I will say that it's outside of that, and we'll get to that, but the um, I never felt more American than when I moved somewhere else, like when I moved here. There are so many things that I didn't realize were so American of me that I, like, even the way that we carry ourselves, the way that we speak to people, the way that we, there's an instant gratification, too, with being an American. I can order something and have it delivered to my home by the next day or have it even delivered to my door, you know, like here it's small, but like you get a package delivered and it, co it comes to my local like bodega type shop and I have to go get it. Small things like that. Just like the ease of life that I think Americans are very privileged to live. And I was very privileged to live, but it kind of puts us in a, in this little bubble of what other places are like. Um, 
as far as like being a minority anyway, I will say in Tel Aviv, it's I joke that it's uh, more it's brave to be straight here. It's a very really gay area. Yeah, it's very. That gay was actually my next question. Yeah, yeah, very gay in Tel Aviv. Um, so huge gay community, which was really nice. Um, and I will say that like there are like as far as white passing, I will say that there was a there was an interesting conversation that I had with a coworker who flew in to visit. And she made a comment when she was on the plane being like, this was, this is the whitest plane I'd ever, I'd ever been on. And I was saying to her after that the interesting thing that I find with like the makeup of the community here is that you can like, that things are a bit blurred here in the way that you can look, I pointed out one of my coworkers and I was like, you would say that like you would classify him there, there as well, but he's actually both of his parents, he's first generation Syrian or my other friend who is Iraqi. And it's just this idea that like, it's kind of like, it's, it's harder to, there's much more of like a, there's much more of like a mix of people, but you're, it's like, you're, it's much harder to identify people's backgrounds, I guess, because of the way that people all come from North Africa, Middle East, um, like Eastern Europe, and then that everybody has kind of come here and kind of come together. I don't know if that makes sense, but it's the idea that it becomes a little bit less like definable than I feel. Yeah, it's, 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 I've heard, like I I had a guest on a friend of mine who, who's a black man who moved out of America specifically because he was struggling with being a black man in America. And the way that the rest of the world views race is very different. It's a, it's, it's much more nuanced. It is much more focused on ethnicity versus color of skin. It is, you know, yes. but having moved from America, you still have those thoughts in your head that like people are going to treat me this way or that way because I'm black or because I'm white. And I'm sure that there's a, uh, a period of comfort and growth where you have to figure out like, Oh, those things that I know to be true from America aren't true here. And, you know, was that, was that a difficult uh, adjustment for you yeah definitely I mean it wasn't difficult in the way that like I I was lucky enough to not feel like any like I had come from New York and DC for me as a gay person for example and mm-hmm. come to Tel Aviv which is also a really accepting place so I didn't really feel like that I think that it just it really opened up my eye when I talk about the way that like my Americanness it's the way that I see things the way that I interpret things the way that um, like, as you were saying, ethnicity, how ethnicity, where you're like, especially in a place like this, it's like where your family is from because there's so many people whose grandparents and parents were refugees from other places. Like, it's just a different way of, of thinking, of being, of seeing other people um, that I think is interesting. It's something that I had to confront when I, when I moved for sure. Yeah. So you said Tel Aviv is like a really accepting place of gay culture. Is mm-hmm. is that kind of a microcosm that exists in a yes. much scarier place? Like if if you go outside of uh, Tel Aviv, are you now worried about expressing too much your your identity as a as a gay woman? Yeah. So I would uh, describe it as kind of like New York City compared to the rest of 
the United States. So um, Tel Aviv, I feel very safe here. I feel like very gay here, to be honest. Um, and in other parts of Israel, it's it can it can change. I mean, there are some places like around the center. There are some places like there are other places I wouldn't feel uncomfortable in the suburbs of Tel Aviv. I wouldn't feel uncomfortable in other parts of, of Israel. But then there are, of course, places that I would feel uncomfortable, that I get out of the car with my partner and I'm not gonna hold her hand. Um, I'm not a really hand holder anyway, so it's fine. Um, but so, yeah, I, I would say that Tel Aviv is most definitely a microcosm. I'll make statements about Israel, like, oh, here it's like this, or here it's like that. And my partner will always correct me being like, in Tel Aviv. You have owned, like, it's a very specific place. It's like only living in New York and saying something about the United States. It's like, okay, but you have yeah. experienced a very specific part of the United States. Um, has your partner had any strong feelings about this whole process? And, you know, you said that she would kind of be like, oh, hold on. That's just, that's part of it. Has she been uh, vocal about anything, like, on the whole of you, you know, making this huge leap? Um, you know, we talk about other people like making judgments, like, did she have any like reservations or judgments on her own that kind of like made you give pause and also like continuing on as you've grown, like gone on, has there been growing pains as you've tried to like acclimate? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I will say, um, there are a few things. So like some smaller things, for example, I think that it's, it, she's able to see, how hard it is to move to another country into another place. Like there's just a different level of confidence that I'll have if I walk into a store and like it's in the United States and I'm speaking English. I've learned a lot of Hebrew, but I still like don't have as much confidence. So, or if somebody can act a little bit rudely, more like rude to me, like in the US, I'd be like, hey, absolutely not. And in, in Tel Aviv, I'm a little bit more reserved in that way because it's, I mean, it's just like not knowing the language as strongly and being a little bit more like less confident in mm -hmm. in that ability. Um, I would say that like as far as understanding, like I wasn't somebody, there are some people who live here and move here who moved here because of the place that it is. They moved here because it's Israel. I'm not one of those people. Uh, I moved here for my partner. And so I didn't really know anything about about Israel. And so there were some kind of like growing pains in the way of one thing that I remember it's, it was really, it's just, it was just ignorance on my part of like, of, of the makeup of this place and how things work. Like we went to a, uh, food market and it's a really cool food market. It's like every stand has a flag of a different country and, uh, there, then they serve food from that country, but it's all homemade food. It's all homemade recipes. And I remember this, that we walked through this market and I left and I was like, wow, it's so cool. They have Iraqi food. They have Iranian food. They have like Moroccan food. Like, how do they, like, how do they know how to make this traditionally? And it was this moment where she was like, oh no, like it's because that's where they're from. Like that's where they moved here from. That's where their grandparents are from. And I think that what an interesting part of, for me is like, I grew up Jewish but I grew up, my, my grandparents are from the, are from Eastern Europe. And all of my friends who I grew up 
Jewish with in the United States, all of their parents were also from, or grandparents were also from Eastern Europe. And so it actually kind of, I was ignorant to the fact that there are so, that like Judaism is so multidimensional, so cross mm -hmm. so much cross-sectionality, like that I didn't even know that these community, like it's crazy to think now because it's just not how I think now, but like it was crazy to me that I even asked that question, how do they know? It's because that's where their families are from. But I had just kind of grown up in this bubble that when I thought about what made up the Jewish community, I thought about the people that I had grown up with and nine times out of 10, those people were people whose family came from a very specific part of the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that was a learning curve. Are you still like a practicing of the Jewish faith? No, I was actually never really practicing. Like my mom actually, my mom grew up Orthodox and did not like how, um, like how Judaism is with, uh, or any religion really, like with, uh, with women and grow, she had to grow up with like seven brothers, you know, what's the only girl wild. So when she raised us, it was very like, we'll go to, uh, synagogue on high holidays and then it kind of died down from there. So I didn't really grow up religious at all. Like I didn't even, I came here knowing no Hebrew, knowing apparently half the holidays. I've learned there are like double the holidays and what I knew about, but. <laughs> so, so it wasn't like a return to Mecca for you. It was just like, no, it was really just about moving there for your, you know, your now spouse. And I mean, like, I don't know, does any of your family have any views on that? Like, have you had conversations about, like you're back in, you know, you're in Israel, like it's a big deal and being like, oh, not really. It's not a big deal to me. Um, I think so. My mom's, my, my grandfather on my mom's side was very religious. As I said, she grew up Orthodox, so he was very religious. So if there was any like emotion behind it, it was just like he had passed a few years ago. And so if, if any emotion was behind it from my family side, it was just kind of like, your grandfather would have been so happy to hear this. Mm -hmm. But other than that, there wasn't really any of that. I will say that on the opposite side, they're happy that I'm happy, but they weren't like, you know, I don't think that any parent particularly wants their kid to, to move to the other side of the world, yeah. especially like one that can, you know, that it can sometimes be perceived as dangerous, but I haven't felt that. I felt, I feel, I feel safe here. So, yeah. Um, how old are you? Don't mind me asking. I'm 31. So I thought we were, you know, close to like seven, 10 years age different. Like I come from a, a generation where coming out to your parents was kind of a, was kind of a grab bag. It was like, mm -hmm. some people were like, yeah, you know, I felt pretty supported. And a lot of people were, no, I got, you know, I got put out of my house and, you know, my parents still don't speak to me. Um, things have changed pretty rapidly in the last, like in, in the 10 to 15 year, like different, or, or, sorry, time range how was it for you dealing with that part of your life and is that something that uh, had a strong hand in shaping who you are today oh yeah for sure um i i always joke that like hindsight's 2020 and that um mm. like looking back it like i i actually came out like pretty like late and by late i mean i think i was like 22 or 23 which is not late but it feels late yeah. when you missed all of college yeah. Um, so <laughs> wish I jumped on that boat sooner. Um, so basically like when I came out to, I was really lucky in the way that I came out to my family and they were super like accepting. Um, I will say that like, it was interesting because 
my family has always been very progressive and um like my they, I always knew that they were going to accept me but it took a bit longer I think that it's easier to say yes gay rights than it is to have your child come out and I think like after I've spoken with my parents about that it's really just because every parent wants their kid wants their child to have the easiest life possible right and so yeah and so I think that my parents were only worried about how other people would treat me and there it is again kind of like the worry about uh, how others react to things rather than how you're feeling and so um, I think there was a little bit of that I think there was a little bit of like do I not know you like I thought I did how did I not see that I think we're so close and I understand you but if there's something so big so it kind of took some explanation of like I didn't even know this you know mm -hmm. um but yeah it was uh I think that it really like it really shaped who I am but I would also say that come the coming out experience didn't shape who I am I think that it was after it was I use this example all the time. It used to take me like an hour to get ready in the morning because I would just try on different clothes and I never felt comfortable and I couldn't figure out what to wear. And I've noticed that after I came out, it was like instantaneous. I was like, okay, here's this, here's that. I just felt myself. It was as if I finally kind of hit the nail on the head of like, that's what it is, you know? Mm. You, you stopped trying to put on a, a costume and you were just getting ready in the morning yeah but the interesting thing is i never thought that i was wearing a costume like i never right. knew that like it was this thing afterwards that i looked back and i was like oh wow this makes sense it's like it's like when you're searching for some sort of like diagnosis on something and you're like why can't like i can't figure this out and then once it like once you get answers you're just like this all plays in like this all makes sense now this all it's all feels right at least like it at least I know what's happening here and that I can move in an educated way with the yeah. full picture. Did you ever have a process of coming out to yourself? Oh yeah. Yeah. So I was in a five year relationship with a, with a man before. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So from the time I was like 18 or 19 and then I, so I was with him and the whole time I, there would be time, not the whole time, there would be times where I would think maybe you're queer in some sort of way. But then I kind of just kept putting it off saying, well, I, you're with a, you're with somebody that you love now. Like who cares? Like if you are attracted to women, that's who cares because you're with somebody and you like them. And so, excuse me. And so, um, like kind of put that on the back burner if you ever have to deal with it. Right. And then I remember I moved to New York and I was, this is like so distinct for me. I was sitting on the L train. And so I'm saying this part because the L is like different in the way that it's kind of like two benches on each side and they face each other. And then you have just like a giant space in the middle of the, of the train of the subway. And so I'm facing this couple and the couple, it was two women and they were just like laughing and talking. And I remember sitting there being like, why do you feel so jealous right now? Like I felt this like envy in me. And at first I tried to be like, oh, it's because they're like in a happy place and I'm like fighting with my boyfriend. But then it kind of just kept, those moments kept happening. And then I have this thing where like, I once, like I'll go through something in my head and then I'll say it out loud. And if I like, I, it takes me a while to say it out loud, but I finally like said it out loud. I'm like, you're gay. 
And it was a moment that I'll never forget, like the amount of weight I felt. I was on the street by myself, I just started crying. It was like this really crazy amount of like, that's it. It was like this connection that just like, that was kind of me coming out to myself. And then um, we, I, you know, clearly broke up with the boyfriend after, after that little moment on the street. That'll do it. Um, but yeah. So that's kind of, yeah, that was kind of how that, how that happened. I mean, it's such an, like, it's something I'll never understand. Like, and there are a lot of tough parts of that, that I, that I don't want to have to ever live through, but that kind of clarity, that life-changing clarity is something that, that must be nice to have at some point in life where it's like, oh, that's what's wrong with me. Like, it's not, not, not being gay is what's wrong, but it's like, I didn't realize that I was, that I was gay. And that was yeah, this is what's sitting on there my was heart. a disconnect. Yeah. yeah. And like, I've, you know, I guess me being ADHD has been a pretty big disconnect that I didn't realize was a disconnect because whenever I was diagnosed, it was it was pretty early in the in the like, you know, the whole the whole conversation about how much it affects your your social ability to like really interact with other people and so I just thought, you know, you're, I'm going to be like, I'm late all the time and I lose chunks of time and I have trouble focusing. Like that's, that's all that it was to me. And so I went through the next 10 years thinking like, why can't I find friends? Like, why can't I like really connect with people on a deep level? Like, and it was a lot of, you know, masking and trying to be what other people, what I thought other people wanted and all these other things that were really leading to very unfulfilling conclusions. And then at one point I realized like, oh, being ADHD is much more than that. And you need to look at if this is causing some of those disconnects. And it has definitely solved a lot of those mysteries, but it wasn't like a, you know, that one thing where you think about it and it's like, oh. So you had that, how long after that did you tell your parents? And was that, mm -hmm. was that at the same time as you came out to the world? Or was it like a, a separate stage? So um, first person I came out to was uh, my friend, one of my friends. Um, she's like my best friend. And it actually like, it was the day after I'd broken up with my boyfriend at the time. And we just had a, like a hour and a half long call, more than that, I think. And the part one was like telling her in detail about what had happened and the breakup. And then I was like, I remember saying, are you ready for part two? She's like, yeah. And I'm like, I think I'm gay. And that was, and then we completely talked that out. So that was more of a, I think I'm, mm. uh, went on a date pretty quickly after that, just to kind of like, I was so curious at that point. Like I definitely yeah. wasn't ready to be dating, but after getting out of a five-year relationship, but I was just so curious at that point. And then from there, um, I started telling my friends, um, I told my uncle first out of my family because he is gay. So, um, I also wanted part of that was that I wanted my mom to be able to have someone to talk with about it. And I knew that he would be the right person to talk to about it. And that I knew okay. that she'd be the, that she'd turn to him to talk about it. So I got that. Um, that was the first one. And then I actually told my parents on a weekend that my dad was away on a trip. So I came to visit my mom. So I had kind of like a one-on-one -on -one moment with her. And then my dad came back and I had a one-on-one -on -one moment with him. So mm. I came out to, I would say, friends, like some friends first, then to my family. And then after I told my family, it was, um, it was, I could tell anyone and it like felt fine to do that. But um, when you broke up with your boyfriend, did you, was that part him. of the breakup? No, yeah. no, it was not. 
specifically wow. because like at the at the time like I as I said before uh, my issue was I kept saying oh but we're fine so I don't have to worry about this and then I started to feel like he was treating me not so great and I didn't like that and so I kind of felt when I broke up with him, it was partially because I wanted to explore my sexuality, but I also think that I would have kept in the charade if things had been fine. You know, like I could have fooled myself in thinking that like, oh, like this is all good. And so I didn't want, like maybe it's a little bit petty, but like I didn't want him to like get a, go away from it thinking, like being able to kind of just say like, oh no, it's it's not me. She is just gay, you know? Like, I want it, like, that didn't feel right for what the breakup was. It was like, hey, I don't want this anymore because of the way that you'd been acting. And then I actually didn't come out to him for about a year after that. And, um, yeah, and then a year later, I had, I wrote to him and let him know. And he was really great about it. Um, he was really supportive um, and wonderful. So that was great. But uh, that was not purposefully not part of the part of the breakup because I thought that it it gave a bit too much of an out to the way that he had been acting. So, uh, excuse me if I'm out of line in asking this. You were in a five year relationship with him, and you said that you were in love with him. How do you how do you go from that and skip over being bi to being gay? Mm -hmm. Like I'm I'm trying to like I know it's not a choice. I'm just trying to like understand what's your mindset is as you're going through that? No, don't worry. Um, I actually, hmm. So I think that I, to, I went on Tinder, I would say for about five minutes with like men and women as a, as a setting. And I just felt myself just like swipe, swipe, swipe. This is not what I want. I think that the difference really came from, I wanted to explore with women. And then when I did it, it was just kind of this, like, I don't even know how to describe it. It just was kind of like, yep, like, this is how I'm supposed to feel. This excitement, the way, like, I think that I, I loved him like you love someone that you care a lot about. And I didn't feel this kind of, like, love where you, like, look at the person and you're like, I am crazy about you, you know? Right. And yeah. it's not that I felt that when I went on these dates with these women in the beginning but it was more about the fact that like, even on those dates, I just felt like I was in the right place. I felt like that was where I should be. I, it just was, it was kind of like, I couldn't go back to being with men because it just, it just wasn't right. Like, and so if that's the only, if that's the only kind of pants that you've ever tried, this is a terrible analogy. That's the only kind of pants no, that you've I ever think tried you're on. Right. Yeah. And you're like, okay, yeah, this fits me. Like I am a little bit uncomfortable, but like I can move my legs and I can walk around and that's what pants are supposed to do, isn't it? And then you buy a new pair of pants that fit you right or that are more comfortable. And then you're like, I'm never taking these off. I like, it's a weird analogy, but that's really how it felt. It was just like, this clicks for me. And I could have been ignorant when I had never tried it. But now that I tried it, I can no longer be ignorant to what I feel. And so in, in that, like, hopefully that it came across right. In that analogy, it makes it seem like this process was more of a spectrum deal in which you, like, I guess that, you know, the Kinsey scale says, like, you can be, like, different varying levels of gay. Yeah. And, like, I'm not a scientist. I'm not a psychologist. I have no idea. 
but I'm curious as to like, would you say that on the spectrum of, you know, being gay, you, you just never really enjoyed being with men as much as you thought you did until you started being with women. And then you realize like, I didn't even really like that that much. I was just kind of conditioned to, to be satisfied with that. Yeah, for sure. I always like, I always joke that like I with my like girlfriends, I'm like, I always thought that everyone was in on the joke that none of us actually really liked this. We were all just saying that we did because it made us feel good. Like I really thought that everyone was kind of on the same page as me being like, eh. Um, but I also will say that an interesting part of it that like, I think is specifically for women because of the way that our society is set up that for men, it's like, if a man finds another man like hot, attractive, it's like, oh, they're like there. It's almost like more of a not a red flag, but like more of an indicator for men. For women, we all talk very openly about like she's beautiful, like, she's gorgeous, like she's sexy, whatever. There's much more like openness about appreciating other women. And so I think that it made it harder for me not to like criticize like it's just, it's an interesting aspect of it it made it harder for me to identify that how I was feeling was not how every other woman in the room was feeling. Like the whole idea of having a girl crush, like guys don't have, I have a guy crush on this guy. It's like, it's, oh, they do, they true. can. No, no, they do. This is what I'm saying. But like yeah. guys don't have that as a word. Like it's just so easily kind of like mixed into our culture, mm. like into like as a whole, like everywhere I feel that, it was harder for me to realize that how I was feeling about women was not how my friends were feeling. Yeah. It, it, you, when you said, oh, she's beautiful, you meant like, oh, she's beautiful. Not like, she's, oh, like, I wish yeah. I looked like her. You were like, no, like, I wish I was with her. And that's like, a exactly. you know, it's a different thing, but the same terminology is often used. And, you know, I, I think that our society has evolved to a degree where, you know, it has become more fluid, like kind of on the mm -hmm. whole, like I can say, like, I've never been afraid to say whenever I thought a guy was attractive, but I've also been okay with knowing that I didn't want anything besides that. Like, I think Ryan Reynolds is, you know, he's a gorgeous man, but at the same time, it's like, I, I don't want to do more than shake hands with him. Like that's, that's where I'm at with that. But That'll do it. <laughs> but that but that handshake might do something to me. I don't know. <laughs> I won't know until yeah. we shake hands. But um, I, I really appreciate that struggle of having to, once again, define this, your identity in comparison to other people who you think are like you. And that's, you know, that's a struggle that we all face. And whenever it comes back to like you had to, like we talked about a couple of times already, you had to figure out what was actually right for you regardless of what all those other people said. And I think that's, that's an important. Uh... Yeah, I think, and I think that with all, like moving and with coming out, it felt similarly to me in the way that it was balancing what I like, not really being able to say out loud what I'm like, what I feel in like, I want to move to another country. I want to come out like breaking through kind of what I built up around me and saying like, actually what I, maybe what I built isn't built right. Maybe like, and maybe this isn't what I intended to build or should have built. 
and the idea of like knocking it over and starting over. I mean, there's a lot to be said about coming out when you're in your 20s, 30s, when like you feel like a teenager again in the way that you don't know anything about flirting, about talking, about like anything. And so it just it's easier to kind of like stay with the walls you built. It's harder to identify that these aren't the right walls and you need to change it. You know. Yeah, that's a that's a very good metaphor. How long were you an openly gay adult before you met your now spouse? Five years, I believe. Five years. So do you feel like you had time to find your place as a, you know, which I don't know if you ever really do in this society, but find your place as a gay adult in the world before you started in on a pretty serious relationship? Yes, I do. Um, And that was also, I'll be honest and say by design. Um, When I first came out, I was very much like, I was dating a lot because I wanted to figure things out, you know? Yeah. Um, I will say that when I had met my partner, I think that the, I think the cool thing is that part of my exploration of it has been by being in a relationship. Like, I think that being in a couple, like a serious couple with another woman, it like, I think that's part of what has helped me, like, defi- not define, like, identify myself, grow within this community myself. Um, I'm lucky enough to have a partner that, like, really encourages me to, to like, do whatever I want to do. She'll cut, like, she's somehow able to work the overnight shift and then go out to gay bars after. It's it's honestly impressive. Wow. But, that's yeah, bad. she's it's wild. Yeah, so, but beyond that, it's just, like, I think that a really cool part of being gay and figuring yourself out is the fact that you actually, like, I talk about this all the time with my other queer friends, that, like, when you come out as a woman, you define, you start to realize how much you relied on, like, gender roles for things, men. Mm -hmm. Like, to plan the date, to lean in and kiss after the date. Like, those types of things. And you get to define when you come out as queer that you, like, am I the person that approaches or am I the person that gets approached? Am I the person that is going to be more assertive and say, let's, this time, this place? Or am I kind of the part, like, you get to kind of redefine yourself. And so I think that part of that by being in a relationship allows you to kind of, like, try out these different things, see yourself in this different way, get encouragement from somebody. So I would say that it almost, I probably learned more about myself as a queer individual by being in a relationship than by not. And I, I think that just the whole process of of coming out kind of is a forced reset from, you know, whatever you thought that you were, that you existed in this world, that a lot of people don't ever take because there's, there's not that thing pressing you, making you ask that question. You know, me as a black man in the society, like, nothing happened to where I was like, it wasn't a surprise that I was black. You know, it was like, that's something I was born with. But at a, at a time in my life, whenever, you know, certain things kept happening, I had to, I did reassess and try to reset what I thought about who I was and how I existed in this society and how to move forward with that. I, I, I feel like that is something that's just so many people don't do that everybody should and mm-hmm. define those things that kind of, you know, define how you, how you move throughout the world. And like, I'm glad that is, you know, with all the difficult things that come with coming out that a lot of positives came with it for you as well. 
Yeah, I mean, I would say mostly positive. Like, I I find myself to be lucky in a way. Like, it's almost a superpower in this way that, like, how many people have gotten to define, like, have gotten to figure out who they are in this way and gotten to have this almost, like, renaissance in, like, the in their 20s that, like, they get to live this new life and be more authentic and, like... I feel like I know myself better than some people because I've really had to do that exploring. I've really had to look at myself and say, what do you feel? Let's be radically honest here with how you're feeling. And so to be given that opportunity, I actually think that like, I think that it made me a better, more well-rounded human. Yeah. I I definitely think that that process, when you take it seriously, will make anybody a better, more well-rounded human but you can also yeah. fake your way through it and not get anything out of it. So, you know, get, For sure. you get the work that you put in out of it. And I'm glad, I'm glad that you, you've done that. Um, kind of going back to your days as a reporter. So I had a local Fox news anchor on a male, but he talked to me some about what he saw in his uh, female co-anchors inbox on social media. Um, on the national level, do you think that it's similar I would say that it is, I would say that for me, what I experienced was more people that are just kind of yelling in my inbox about politics. Like I didn't get as many comments. Um, I would say it's maybe because I wasn't on air as much. Mm -hmm. I was producing. And so they were like, when you just have a bylines, when it says like by Kendall Brightman, like you're going to get less of those kinds of comments. But I mean, I think that there is a, an aspect to it that like it's my job to report the news and that sometimes uh, men in particular would write and kind of call you stupid or try to educate you on what you're reporting on. And so I think there was like a bit of that, but I do know what Mm -hmm. like reporters will, will get in their inboxes. And I will say that I was lucky enough that mine were mostly people getting upset that my they thought my article was too left or too right like no one's ever really happy of where you kind of fall with being objective if you're like objective then it doesn't take either side and then both sides are upset yeah. so i think that that was more that was more what i experienced the the overall culture of news is kind of known as being you know fairly vain did you see that you know as a producer did was anybody ever did were you ever given the position to put pressure on somebody to change something about the way that they looked or to, um, you know, make somebody feel bad because they put on weight or anything like that? Um, not me, like specifically. I mean, I would see that my female colleagues who were on TV did have pressure to look a certain way or Mm -hmm. speak a certain way or have their hair a certain way. Um, but I think that for me, it seemed like, unfortunately, that's how they kind of saw their job. Like that, that was part of their, their job is they have to go and get the hair and makeup and then they have to go on. But what I, but really who I, what I, what I was like dealing with for my coworkers and my colleagues that would be on camera, a lot of them are correspondents. So less like television news hosts. And so in that Mm -hmm. case, it's, it's a different kind of ball game, you know, like you go to Capitol Hill, you are, wearing a certain outfit because that's what you have to wear on Capitol Hill, like a suit or something like that. 
but it was a lot less of that kind of gaining weight or things like that. I didn't feel that. Um, but I will say that I did, I did feel like there is definitely some competition between like, there's a feeling of needing to stay on top of your game for women who are, I wouldn't even say older. Like that's the problem is that like women have uh, in like in this industry have like, they, they say like, what does it say? Like a, a short shelf life is what they like. Yeah. It's this idea mm -hmm. that like you can see a Brian Williams on cam on TV and you can see a, who else? Like the, like not that Brian Williams is like, old. it's just, you can see these older men, but then the women kind of stay at the same age, you know? And so you really try yeah. to prove yourself. So there's this constant pressure for older women to prove themselves and make themselves kind of almost like legend type of status because you have to be that if you're going to mm. be over a certain age and you're going to be on TV. You have to be, women are expected to be a, a legend, this icon type of thing because that's what justifies you for still being on TV. It's like, it's pretty crazy in that way, I will, I will definitely say. Hey, Kendall, can you pause for me real quick? Because I've stopped recording for some reason. Okay. All right, we're back after a little technical difficulty, and I, I hope that everything is working well now. Everything says it's recording, so we should be okay. Um, to pick up where we left off, we're kind of starting to wrap things up, but we had talked some about, um, I guess, the benefits of coming out and really defining your identity. Mm -hmm. um, do you have anything else to add with that? No, I think that it's just, it's, um, I was lucky enough to have a really smooth experience that the hardest part of it was coming out to myself. So, um, yeah. I think that that's like, it's not like, not, I would say not normal. It's not common. It's not as common for that to be the case. So I feel very lucky for that. Um, but I think that that's like, it was a really great way to like figure out more about yourself. Cool. Um, and I, I feel like I'm going to be honest with myself and tell you I feel a little defeated right now. That was such a a marathon of uh, misery trying to get everything working again. But here's the thing. I mean, like, first of all, I respect that you are being authentic in that way. But I think that we had a great like we had a great conversation. I think that it was like we still have all of that and we were talking for for a pretty decent amount of time so i think we made a yeah a good amount of good amount of content so you know i mean it's a bummer that there were some tech difficulties but i think yeah and i agree that we definitely made plenty of content i just hate like feeling that the conversation was ended versus us ending it because mm -hmm. I, I feel like we were kind of heading that way anyways but now i just i feel like i've not had to like pick up and just end it like it's it's a weird feeling you know what i'm saying i know exactly what you're saying but i will say that um i think that it's gonna when i was thinking about it too i think that's something that we're gonna listen back on and be like wow that was a really great conversation so yeah. i mean i think that it's uh 
as we kind of talked about in this in this call, it's like you make a plan and then things come up and then suddenly you're moving to the other side of the world or refreshing your screen a million <laughs> times. You know, same same idea. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So um like one thing I didn't, I hadn't asked you yet, but I try to ask all my guests is, what does authentic, authenticity mean to you? For me, authenticity starts with myself. I think that authenticity, you can be as authentic as you want, kind of to everybody else, you know. Um, but unless you like really are being true to yourself, that's true authenticity. Everything that comes out of that, like how you present yourself to others as like without this wall, without this mask, I think that it first requires you to be authentic with yourself. So I'd say that authenticity is like being truthful and honest um, and not like, I think that you can still like build walls in whatever place that you want. Being authentic doesn't mean that you have to be completely, everyone knows everything about me, but it is being just truthful within yourself and, and yeah. responding to that truth. Has there ever been a time whenever you were authentic and you felt like it was not in your best interest to do so? Um, I think maybe moving. I think that that was like, it was authentic that I wanted to do that. But then at the time I was like, am I being crazy um, and leaving my career? And maybe this isn't the best move. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm not being logical. It's like almost, it's exactly like thinking with your head or your heart. And usually, mm -hmm. like people are saying that you sh you should lean towards the head. So it's uh, I think that that was the a time that I was nervous about that. Yeah, and and obviously it ended up working out pretty well for you because you have had a great time there, right? Yeah, for sure. It's uh, it was definitely it's one of the it's one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life. So um, I think That's that awesome. it's kind of it's worth it as long as you're being authentic with yourself. Um, if anybody else was in a situation, I mean, I guess I kind of am, but similar to yours, what advice would you give as far as trying to leave other people's expectations and opinions there with them mm -hmm. and staying true to yourself? I think that, like my friend Andrew said, you're the only one that's going home and thinking about you in the way that you're thinking about you. You're your own main character. Mm -hmm. I will say for moving, because that is where we started the conversation, what I tell people when they're moving is that like it can be really overwhelming really quickly, but the most that you can kind of make in an adventure, the better. So like for me, I mean, I was dealing with a different language, like going to the grocery store and trying to figure out which was milk and I bought yogurt by accident. It was, it's quite shocking to think that you're pouring milk and it's yogurt. Um, so yeah. like, Think of all of that stuff as an adventure. Think of finding your new bar that you love, an adventure. Think of finding a new restaurant, because otherwise it can get very overwhelming. But when you think of it as, like, this is, I'm exploring. I'm exploring a new part of myself. I'm exploring a new part of the world. I'm exploring, uh, I don't know. It's, it's, I think that it makes, life supposed to be an adventure, right? So it makes it more fun. So being from New England, and I'm moving to New England, do you have any advice? I would say maybe try to stay a bit away from what you were doing. Try to find new things that you love doing there. Um, I think that when you move back to a place, it can feel kind of like a backpedal when it doesn't have to. So mm -hmm. I would say that like, I think that it's very easy to move back somewhere and go to the places that you know and love or do the activities that you've done before. But I think that that's 
it could make you feel like you're in a rut a bit quicker. Um, just so you know, I've never lived there before. Oh, you said that you're from New England. No, I said you're from New England, aren't you? Oh, I thought I thought that you're saying no. I'm from Pennsylvania, so it's like close enough. Is Pennsylvania um, not New England? It's not quite. No, not, not quite. Um, okay, then I would say. Um, hmm. I would say it's like it's a different culture. I mean, I've I I haven't really I've only lived in in that area for my whole life, so I don't really know how it is compared to other parts of the U.S. But I would say um, try not to take yourself too seriously. I think people in that area in that part of the world take themselves a bit too seriously, and I think finding that out is an example of what I was just talking about: is having the adventure, you know, like mm-hmm. trial and error and figuring it out. I think that. I think that that's a, oh, and pack warm clothes, pack warm clothes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely planning on that. I'm terrified of how cold I'm going to be, but I'm also excited. I'm excited for not having thousand degree summers and falls and springs. Oklahoma is miserable. If you didn't know that. No, <laughs> I didn't. But you're like, it's funny how your body changes to things. Like I grew up in Pennsylvania and now here, if it's under like 50 degrees, I'm like, it's freezing. Like I like my, it's weird. It's like it's it's uh, your body will really adapt and and adjust in a strange way. So yeah. Well, that's that's hopeful. Hopefully, I'll get used to the cold. Um, yeah. If where, where what does the future look like for you? Are you still going to be? Do you plan on being Israel for, for the rest of your life, or like what does it look like? I don't know. I honestly kind of prefer it here, just because like it's very mom and pop type of shop it's was like i can't really describe it it's just the culture it's like you sit at a dinner and you sit there for hours like that's the activity for the night is like going out to dinner and sitting there for hours like enjoying time being spontaneous um i don't shop at gigantic stores like i go to this bakery that i know the people mm. for my bread there's a little stand for my vegetables like I just love that way of like Mediterranean life so I don't really want to go back but um I think going back could be in my future because my partner is a doctor and being a doctor in the United States is seen as like a goal for people who practice medicine around the world so I wouldn't be surprised if we at one point came back but I I really like my life here and I I see my future as kind of as being here or being somewhere on the Mediterranean. Just like the, I like the pace of life a bit, a bit more. Cool. Is there anything that I haven't asked you about today that you'd like to share with the audience? I think we're just about, we just about covered it. Yeah. Um, I think, I think I, that we got into it. I think so too. I think it was a great conversation. Yeah. Uh, Technical difficulties aside, it's still, it was amazing. Um, I, I really enjoyed myself, and if you don't have anything else to add, I'll wrap up now. Uh, it's been absolutely great getting to know you better, and um, I, hopefully I've made a friend and we'll stay in contact because I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, me too. I've like I've really loved our conversation, so thank you so much for having me on, and thank you for creating this space to be so authentic because that's not something that you get everywhere, so I really appreciate that you've created this space. Well, thank you very much. And if my audience has enjoyed today's episode, please take the time to review it on your favorite platform, share it with someone you think might enjoy it as well, and subscribe so you never miss out on amazing conversations like this one. You can also check out earlier episodes to support the future creation of great content. And don't forget to like us on 
authentic or like us at authentic identity management on Instagram, Facebook, Threads, and LinkedIn. You can also head over to the Authentic Bruce YouTube channel for podcast video with bonus content and impactful clips from my great conversations and these guests, these great guests. Finally, if you are struggling to show up as yourself in your content, your work, your life, or your family, I would love to help you. Authentic Identity Management does identity coaching to help you align yourself with the identity you share with the world. It's exhausting to live someone else's life. Live authentically and access the potential that belongs only to you. You can contact me on social or email me at bruce at authenticidentitymanagement.com and we can set up a free 30-minute consultation. That is it for today's episode. Thank you again to Kendall Brightman for being so gracious with their time. I really enjoyed it. And um, to everybody out there listening, please be yourself and love yourself. Bye, everyone.